0: of Matthew. This is message number 32 in that series, entitled, The Parable of the Sower. So we're going to be looking at Matthew chapter 13, and we're going to look at verses 1 to 23. And so I want to read uh, the first three verses um, as we get started. The same day went Jesus out of the house and sat by the seaside, And great multitudes were gathered together unto him, so that he went into a ship and sat, and the whole multitude stood on the shore. And he spake many things unto them in parables, saying, Behold, a sower went forth to sow. So chapter 11 gave us Jesus' rebuke to the cities of Galilee, because they had not repented, despite the fact that they had witnessed the majority of his kingdom sign miracles. And then chapter 12 follows with a series of interactions where Jesus' rejection by the leaders of Israel is is made very clear, um, and their rejection is sealed with the unforgivable sin of attributing the power of the Holy Spirit to the power of Satan. Now, the Pharisees, as leaders of that generation of Israel to whom the Messiah came, They were watching Jesus, trying to find fault with him. They were asking him questions, trying to entrap him. They were deliberating uh, about how to accomplish his execution. And so they asked Jesus in that chapter for an apocalyptic sign, such as was prophesied to accompany the day of the Lord. Well, Jesus had already performed many messianic kingdom signs among them. And he told them that there's no sign that would be given to that generation uh, other than the sign of the prophet Jonah, which he uh, further explained uh, to be pertaining to his death, burial, and resurrection. Now, we noted how that repentance just kept coming up, and we saw it in, in the past couple of chapters in particular. And one reason is because the Old Testament made it very clear that the repentance of Israel must precede the establishment of the kingdom. And John the Baptist, he came preaching this message of repentance because the kingdom was at hand, and he sought to prepare the people of Israel for the Messiah who had come. But they had not repented, they were not ready, and so they would face judgment rather than the establishment of the kingdom. Now, Matthew's building theme at this point certainly is the rejection of Jesus as Christ and therefore the rejection of the Messianic kingdom. So chapter 13 follows after that and continues that theme, but also marks a change in Jesus' ministry to Israel. Jesus speaks to the crowds now in parables, He no longer, from this point, no longer says the kingdom is near. And after this, he will even have a temporary ministry where he goes among the Gentiles, those of the non Jewish nations. Now, as we look at chapter 13, it has eight parables in this chapter. There are also four explanations of parables in this chapter. There are two different audiences in this chapter. And there is one related incident that's given after the end of the parables. Now, the first parable that is given, it is introductory to the parables. And the last parable that occurs in the chapter is conclusory to the parables. And those six parables between all begin with the kingdom of heaven is like, some likening to the kingdom of heaven. Now, the audiences in chapter 13 were the large crowds, and those are outside and uh, by the Sea of Galilee, and that large crowds out there included his disciples, and then the other audience is just his disciples privately in the house away from the crowds. So when you look at this chapter and you follow along, the crowds heard four parables in his chapter and no explanations the disciples heard those four parables plus they heard four more parables and they also heard four explanations of parables from Jesus and then the incident at the end further illustrates the rejection of Jesus by his own so again it is it is a related incident and then sort of transitions um, into the next chapter the next part of Matthew's gospel now our passage that we're looking at is the first and the introductory parable along with its explanation. And Matthew and, and Mark, uh, Luke also gives this parable but but he sort of arranges the material quite a bit differently. But Matthew and Mark um, both have a pretty parallel account here and they both put this parable first and they also give this parable significance in terms of understanding the other parables. Um, So it truly is introductory and necessary in order to understand the teaching as a whole. So we're going to look at this in three parts. So verses 1 to 9 is where Jesus gives this introductory parable of the sower. In, In verses 10 to 17, we actually get a private interaction with Jesus and his disciples where he explains the reason... For parables. And then in verses 18 to 23, we get Jesus' explanation of the parable of the sower to his disciples. So we're going to start here with the first, where Jesus speaks to the crowd, this introductory parable in the first nine verses. Let's look at verse 1. The same day went Jesus out of the house and sat by the seaside. Now, this uh, chapter begins with an untranslated conjunction. We've seen this a number of times. Uh, as I say, some translations uh, may have a dash there or some something to indicate it. Many of them, I, I think, do not. Um, but there is an untranslated conjunction here. And w- really what that indicates is that it's a, it's a continuation. Um, but it also serves to introduce a new section, and that clearly is is what is taking place. So we had um, the all those interactions in chapter twelve, and this isn't there are some interactions here, but this isn't really an interaction section this is a primarily a teaching section um, with Jesus um, giving an extended teaching once again and by the way that Matthew refers to the same day uh, and then later as you read through the chapter in, in, in verse fifty three and I certainly recommend reading this whole chapter, in, in particularly in a, in a setting, reading this whole chapter. And, um, and you may want, you know, you could do that um, later today. You could do that before um, next Sunday. But reading this whole chapter, because it, it does all go together, and it's intended to be together. And so you read, he says the same day here. And later in in verse 53, which we'll, we'll get to that eventually, um, we're told that Jesus completed his parables. He, same word that we encountered um, talking about the Sermon on the Mount, that Jesus completed that teaching, showing us that uh, Matthew 5 through 7, that Sermon on the Mount, was uh, an, an a whole connected um, teaching. It wasn't just sort of a, a series of random statements or anything like that, but actually is a, is a cohesive whole. And so that's, that means that when we're looking at Matthew chapter 13, there is cohesiveness. There's a a deliberate arrangement here that forms what we might call a a whole block of teaching. It all goes together. Now, as you read through Matthew 13, um, and again, if you sort of pay attention to those audiences, you'll notice that Matthew obviously moves the explanation of the parable of the sower. He, He moves that up to following when Jesus gives that parable. So he gives that parable, he's sitting in the boat on the Sea of Galilee, the crowd standing on the shore when he gives that parable. He explains this parable in the house, which is actually later. And he's got other parables that he gives to that crowd. So Matthew sort of takes that and he puts it, uh, arranges it, um, so sort of out of the chronology of, of, of the sequence of events And he does that because it's obviously important to understand the rest of the parables that are given in this chapter. And so Matthew moves that up um, instead of just giving us that particular sequence. And we're told that Jesus sat down by um, the seaside, there by the the Sea of Galilee, as most likely as he's in Capernaum at this time, in verse 2, and great multitudes were gathered together unto him. So that he went into a ship and sat, and the whole multitude stood on the shore. So one of the things that we see at this point is that there are still large crowds that are gathering around Jesus. Even even though um, he has um, rebuked uh, these cities for not repenting, um, he's had some um, interactions with uh, Pharisees and and scribes and and such um, publicly that are becoming increasingly... Hostile, and despite that, he still has large crowds that are that are just thronging around him. And so, what he does here is he actually just puts some some space between him and this crowd. He he gets in a boat, um, and he's he's in this boat just off the shore. And this large crowds lined up, you know, along the shore. And so, he does put some distance between them. And obviously, he wanted some separation from this crowd. He was being thronged by the crowd. No doubt, they, there was people trying to touch him, thinking that um, they could they could receive some sort of power, um, perhaps be healed. If you remember back to um, the woman that had the the issue of blood, um, that want, that sort of went through the crowd to touch the hem of Jesus' garment, and you know, he asked his disciple, "Who touched me?" and and they're saying, "How could you ask who's touching? you? I mean, everybody's touching you. Uh, you know, we're we're all pinned in in, in in this throng of people. So he wants to get by because he's not. He's not working a sign. He's not going to perform a healing here. His purpose is to teach this crowd, to speak to this crowd. He has something to say to them. And so he separates himself from them. He gets out in this boat. Um, They're they're on the the lake or the the Sea of Galilee there, and they are are crowded around the shore. Verse 3, And he spake many things unto them in parables, saying, Behold, a sower went forth to sow. So we're told that Jesus spoke many things to the crowd in parables, and parables—the word that's, that's used here—refers to um, similitudes. Uh, the, the word means the word literally, I believe, means placing one thing um, alongside of another, and it's the term though refers to a, a certain rhetorical device um, which could be used in teaching um, where some truth is illustrated by comparing or likening it to something else. And if uh, oftentimes, um, you know, we do this in teaching, no, ma- no matter what the subject might be. Uh, you know, teachers may, may do it in school. Uh, it may be used for some on-the-job training. And usually the idea, when it's successful, is to take something that somebody already knows and understands and compare it to something that they don't. So that so that they get understanding of the thing that they don't have knowledge of. All right, so that's that's just sort of of typically um, what the word means by comparing or likening to something else. So again, it's not saying that this is the something else. It's just a, it's just a comparison that's made to illustrate some truth. Now in this case, Jesus tells this brief narrative, just just this little. Um, little story um, about a sower going out to sow in a field and the results from the scattering of seeds onto different kinds of soils but the meaning of the parable it's not about farming it's not about botany or or plant biology the meaning of, of the parable we will get an explanation of and and also when Jesus speaks in a parable, it's also not about anything and everything that we can dream up to fit into this story. Oftentimes, we can look at that like the parable of the sower, and we can think of, well, maybe it's like something else, and and um, we think, well, maybe I can illustrate some other truth with this, um, and, and certainly, you know, we're capable of doing those sort of things, but our meaning of this parable is what Jesus meant when he gave it and that's what we need to seek to understand of course in this case he explains it and so we certainly know how but we also learn how to interpret parables more generally um, by understanding it so the parable began there at the end of verse 3 behold a sower went forth to sow it runs through verse number 8 go ahead and read this and when he sowed some seeds fell by the wayside and the fowls came and devoured them up. Some fell upon stony places where they had not much earth, and forthwith they sprung up because they had no deepness of earth, and when the sun was up, they were scorched. Because they had no root, they withered away. And some fell among thorns, and the thorns sprung up and and choked them, but other fell into good ground and brought forth fruit, some a hundredfold, some sixtyfold, and some thirtyfold. All right, so this parable, uh, that's... That's the parable that Jesus gives. Now he will ex- he explains this parable in, in verses eighteen to twenty three. Um, so I'm I'm will keep the explanation of the parable to to those um, particular verses. Just want to notice a few things. One is notice how the parable begins and how the parable ends. Jesus begins there in verse three with this parable by saying, "Behold," this is a this is an interjection that's telling them, "Listen." pay attention, take heed. And then how does the parable end? Well, it actually ends with Jesus' words to the crowd in verse 9, who hath ears to hear, let him hear. So that Jesus begins by saying, pay attention, you know, listen up, take heed. And then he ends by saying, whoever has ears to hear, let him hear. Now Jesus is is clearly here referring to the fact that there are people who had ears to hear and there were people who did not have ears to hear. And this will be better understood as we proceed. So that brings us now to the second part which is actually almost like a a parenthesis beginning here with verse number 10 because Matthew just sort of places um, this interaction with Jesus and his disciples privately Uh, And again, its importance is because we need it to understand how to understand these parables that Jesus gives. So we're going to start with Jesus giving the reason for parables in the first place. This is not an explanation of the parable of the sower, but a reason of why he was teaching in parables to begin with. So we'll start with verse number 10. And the disciples came and said unto him, Why speakest thou unto them in parables? Now, again, verses 10 to 23 are, are inserted here. You know, if you're trying to follow along the, the, like the flow of what Jesus was saying when he's on the boat, this is sort of, of inserted here, um, and he's speaking privately to his disciples from here to verse 23. When you get to verse 24, he goes back to the crowd. So, again, not a linear sequence of events, but Matthew arranging this to understand and to, de- to develop Jesus' theme. So the disciples, he mentions, the disciples asked him this question. And by disciples, he's referring to the apostles, to the twelve, and they asked Jesus why he was speaking to the crowds of Israel there in in northern Galilee. Why is he speaking to the crowds of Israel in parables? And there's there's some important um, conclusions that we can draw actually from their question and, and the context of what's taking place. One, they use the the plural there. Why are you speaking to them in in parables? And that, along with the question itself, shows that this was not immediately after one parable, that that Jesus goes aside um, and explains it to his disciples and then comes back and tells the others. Um, No, that's obviously not the way that it happened. And the disciples also have noticed that something has changed, that something is different. In the way that Jesus is speaking to these crowds. And then also, the implication of this question is that the disciples knew that the crowds didn't understand Jesus' meaning in the parables. And of course, one of the ways they knew that was because they didn't understand the meaning of the parables. He explained them to them and of course gave them um, understanding in those things. Now, we can see that this is also confirmed. In other words, what we're drawing from this is also confirmed by Jesus' response and and what we read in the rest of this chapter. So look at verse 11. He answered and said unto them, Because it is given unto you to know the mysteries of the kingdom of heaven, but to them it is not given. So as you read from here, down through verse number 17, Keep in mind the question that Jesus is answering. The disciples asked, why are you speaking to the crowds of Israel in parables? That's the question he's answering from here to verse number 17. So Jesus begins here explaining to his apostles that understanding was granted to them, which was not granted to the crowds Of Israel. And specifically, as we as we read, specifically the understanding of the mysteries of the kingdom. Now, here and later in the explanation in in verse 19, Jesus is showing all these parables here in Matthew 13 are about the kingdom. And they are given so as to simultaneously conceal and reveal truth about the timing of the kingdom. And again, we'll see that as we study this chapter. So Jesus uses this word for mystery and refers to the mysteries of the kingdom. Now, as you go through the New Testament, this word for mystery um, in this sort of of an application refers to some truth, that had been hidden and was presently being revealed. Something that has been concealed that's now being made known, wasn't known before, is now being made known. Matthew, Mark, and Luke all refer to the mystery of the kingdom in connection with these parables. So that is one usage. Outside the Gospels, um, there are some other usage. Paul in Romans chapter 11 and verse 25 refers to the mystery of temporary blindness happening to Israel and the gathering in of Gentiles. There's also Paul referring to the mystery that Gentiles should be fellow heirs of by faith alongside Jews without becoming Jews. Um, That's uh, Romans chapter 16, verse 25, Ephesians chapter 3, verses 1 to 13, Colossians chapter 1, verses 26 and 27, and so on. There's another mystery that Paul refers to, and that is the mystery of local churches in Ephesians chapter 5 and verse 32. And again, these are things that were not known in the Old Testament, things that had been hidden but were presently being revealed. Another of those mysteries is the glorification of living saints alongside that of resurrected saints in the very same moment at the sound of the trumpet. That's 1 Corinthians chapter 15 verses 51 and 52. And then there's four times that this word is used in the book of Revelation that refers to um, certain eschatological events. But again, the commonality is that this word is used of things that had not been known prior to that time. Things that were not revealed and, and were not understood prior to that time but are now being revealed. So Jesus tells his apostles that to them it has been given, it has been granted that they will understand the mysteries of the kingdom. Now the mystery of the kingdom specifically that Jesus is referring to and that comes out through the the parables in particular is that despite the fact that the Messiah had come just as he was prophesied to come, the kingdom would not be established until he returns after a long time of being away. Now again, that's not all in the parable of the sower, but it is in the parables that Jesus gives, these kingdom parables. Now, what's important to understand is that this is being revealed It's not changing the kingdom. It's the revealing of a truth that had not previously been revealed or understood. Now, notice also that Jesus refers to the kingdom of the heavens. And the the word there, it is plural. Uh, I think it shows up like 12 or 13 times in this chapter. Um, and, and every time that it is used, that's the intention. There's one time that it's singular, uh, heaven, uh, and, and, and it really could be translated air or sky because it's referring to where birds fly. But other than that, this is the kingdom of the heavens. Now, we've talked a little bit about um, the kingdom of the heavens, and, and Matthew particularly uses this phrase. It's the kingdom of Old Testament prophecy and expectation. It is the messianic kingdom, the millennial kingdom. It is the kingdom where the son of David, who is David's Lord, sits on David's throne in Jerusalem, ruling over the United Tribes of Israel and all the nations of the earth. Now, the heavens that is referred to, this is the place of the throne of God. And it is where the kingdom comes from. And it is described by Daniel, and we've, we've talked about this. Matthew um, uses this title, Son of Man, and there's a connection with, with um, the kingdom of heaven. Um, it's where the kingdom comes from. The Son of Man receives the kingdom and comes with the clouds to the earth in, in Daniel chapter number 7. And so again, that is the, that is the, the connection of all of these things and, and why Matthew uses this term, the kingdom of the heavens. <clears throat> White appears in this gospel, and Jesus is speaking about the mystery of the kingdoms of the heavens. Of the kingdom, rather, of the heavens. Now, it's important to understand that the parables, as we read uh, again, and there's more parables than, than just this one, uh, the parables of the kingdom that we read, these, these parables don't alter anything about the nature of the kingdom. But in the, even in this chapter alone, there are at least, um, it's consistent with five different descriptions pertaining to the kingdom from the Old Testament. So the Old Testament, in places like Daniel chapter 7, verses 21 to 27, anticipated judgment preceding the coming of the kingdom. The coming of the kingdom also means reward for the righteous, places like Daniel chapter 12, verses 2 and 3. The kingdom will be worldwide, places like Daniel chapter 2 and and even Psalm 2 and verse 8 and others. The kingdom will come suddenly when it comes, places like Isaiah 46, 13, uh, Daniel chapter 2, verse 34 and verses 44 and 45. The kingdom, when it comes, will come supernaturally. In other words, it's not the work of men that bring in the kingdom. It comes supernaturally. It's the work and the power of God. Uh, Daniel chapter 2 and verse 34 as well. And those last two in particular are envisioned um, by John in Revelation chapters 19 and 20. Now, we don't get to all of those aspects Here in in the parable of the solar. but as we go through this chapter I'll I'll try to recall to point out uh, places where we see these aspects in other words the the nature of the kingdom is unchanged it's no different what the mystery of the kingdom has to do with is the timing of the kingdom and that is something that was not known prior to Jesus revealing it so let's continue on verse 12 for whosoever hath, to him shall be given, and he shall have more abundance. But whosoever hath not, from him shall be taken away, even that he hath. Now remember, we're we are talking about, Jesus is talking about, why he's talking to the crowds in parables. Those who have, Jesus talks about here, those who have, those are those who have ears to, ha- to, to hear, those that have faith. They receive the word of the kingdom, and they will receive more, Jesus says. More meaning more understanding, um, even to the rewards of the kingdom, and so on. Those who have not are those that do not have ears to hear, those who reject the message of the kingdom. And Jesus says they will lose. Even what they have, it will be taken away from them. So, the context again, it is the rejection of the Messiah and his kingdom by Israel, which is what is explained in the very first parable, which we're going to get to that explanation in just a moment. What did they have? Those that rejected Jesus, that generation of Israel, what did they have? that was going to be taken away. And oftentimes people get tripped up because they think Jesus is here talking about salvation. He's not talking about salvation. What did they have that was going to be taken away? Well, what they had was they had the promise and the expectation of the kingdom. They were physical descendants of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. And they even in that day had some possession of Israel. But they rejected Jesus. And Jesus says, From those that have, it's going to be taken away. They would not inherit the kingdom. They would not even keep the Israel that they had, but rather it would be taken away from them. Why? Because of unbelief. So to those that have, those that have ears to hear, like the apostles that Jesus said, to them it was granted. He's talking about understanding. To them it was granted. Those that have ears to hear, more would be given to them. And from those that had, they they would lose. They would be taken away. Verse number 13. Therefore speak I to them in parables, because they seeing see not, and hearing they hear not, neither do they understand. So Jesus is now explaining that because of what he's just said in the previous verses, He spoke to the crowds of that generation of Israel in parables, further explaining that they did not see, they did not hear, and they did not understand. Uh, In John 6, Jesus said very plainly to the crowds that they only followed him because they ate. They ate of the bread that he fed them. They they experienced the the benefits of the the miracles and, and such, not because they believed. Verse 14, and in them is fulfilled the prophecy of Isaiah, which saith, "By hearing ye shall hear and shall not understand and shall, uh, and, uh, and shall not understand, and seeing ye shall see and shall not perceive. That generation rejected Jesus and fulfilled Isaiah's prophecy. And Matthew here quotes from Isaiah chapter six, verses nine to 10. Now that passage is the commissioning of Isaiah, and it's the commissioning of Isaiah to prophesy to Israel and to Judah, to make them dull of hearing and blind to the truth, and this was for the purpose of bringing judgment on Israel. He says in verse 15, For this people's heart is waxed gross, and their ears are dull of hearing, and their eyes have they closed, lest at any time they should see with their eyes and hear with their ears and should understand with their heart and should be converted, and I should heal them. Now Paul later explained this as a setting aside of Israel and the preservation of a small remnant until such time that God ordained that all Israel should be saved so jesus says this is fulfilled in them that generation that rejected him verse 16 but blessed are your eyes for they see and your ears for they hear so he's explaining speaking to the crowd in parables and he's coming back here to the disciples to whom understanding was granted and says your eyes and ears Have been blessed. Why? Because they they hear, they see, they understand. Faith has been opened to them. Verse 17: For verily I say unto you that many prophets and righteous men have desired to see those things which ye see and have not seen them, and to hear those things which ye hear and have not heard them. So Jesus explained that the disciples were blessed to see what many Old Testament prophets, many Old Testament believers wanted to see, but they never did. Remember, this is why John was the greatest of those prophets because he saw the Messiah, and he saw the kingdom come closer than it had ever been. And of course, Jesus went on to say, but those who will actually enter that kingdom in their mortal bodies when Jesus returns, they're even more greatly blessed than even John was, and he, he was greatly blessed beyond the, the prophets of the Old Testament. Furthermore, he's telling the disciples, you, you've been greatly blessed to receive greater revelation about the kingdom than what had been given to the prophets before them and so now that brings us to the explanation of the parable of the sower beginning in verse number 18 jesus said hear ye therefore the parable of the sower and so he's going to begin his explanation verse 19 when anyone heareth the word of the kingdom and understandeth it not then cometh the wicked one and catcheth away that which was sown in his heart this is he which received seed by the wayside So, following the context now, this parable is about Israel hearing the message of the kingdom. You see that there in verse 19. When anyone hears the word of the kingdom, well, what what is the word of the kingdom? Well, we don't have to guess. We've already read it in, in Matthew's gospel. This is the good news of the kingdom being near. John preached that message. Jesus preached that message. His apostles preached that message throughout the cities of Israel. Israel has been covered with this message of the kingdom. This message, of course, included that call to repentance, which they had not received in the main, which meant they had not understood and believed the message of the Messiah and the kingdom. Remember how that Jesus had spoken to them about John the Baptist when he said he was Elijah who's prophesied to come before the day of the Lord if you would receive it, but they would not receive it. And so the kingdom did not come with the coming or the sending of Elijah. They wouldn't receive it. So this is about, this parable is about the response of Israel to the coming of the Messiah and the message of the kingdom that was presented to them. And he says here, um, continuing in in verse 19, the, the seed by the wayside, he says, the wicked one, and the wicked one refers to Satan, whose work was likened to birds swooping in um, to snatch away the seeds before they can take root and grow. So these are describing uninterested hearers. They heard the message, but they were not interested in it. Then he continues, verse 20. But he that received the seed into stony places, the same is he that heareth the word, and anon with joy receiveth it. Yet he hath no root in himself, but dureth for a while. For when tribulation or persecution ariseth because of the word, by and by he is offended. So, this and, and actually the, the next one um, picture what you might call superficial hearers. Now, he describes this rocky bed that is covered with a thin layer of soil. In other words, it's not good ground. And the hearers, they receive this message with apparent joy, but he says they don't have deep roots of true faith. So when trouble and persecution arise because of that word of the kingdom, they're stumbled and they and they fall away. Verse twenty two, he also that received seed among the thorns is he that heareth the word and the care of this world, and the deceitfulness of riches, choke the word, and he becometh unfruitful. So here he describes ground that's covered with weeds. And it's likened to those other superficial hearers. They they received the word. There's an apparent eagerness. It seems to be a good reception. And again, Jesus is, is at at the time that he was telling that parable, was sitting on a boat with this shore crowded with all these crowds of, of people of Israel that were gathering around. They received the word with apparent eagerness. But Jesus says, the cares of life and the love for the riches of the present world still master them they're still enslaved and so they're choked out and they have no fruit what does that mean well jesus explained that just a little bit ago they have not and therefore they lose even what they have it is taken from them all three of these did not repent we and we've seen that very clearly. We've seen examples of these in Matthew's God. These types of responses to Jesus and, and to his message and to his signs. We've seen examples of these types of responses. And we've seen Jesus declaring plainly, you have not repented. And yet they're still crowding and, and thronging around him. Well, then we get to the last one, verse 23. But he that receives seed into the good ground is he that heareth the word and understandeth it, which also beareth fruit, and bringeth forth some a hundredfold, some sixty, and some thirty. So the good ground is like the hearers that received this message of the kingdom with understanding, meaning they repented and they believed. So they had faith, they had ears, they had eyes. And what happened? More is given to them. That's what we see in this fruit this yield more is given to them more abundance more understanding and we see this played out actually in the work of the apostles in particular as they complete the revelation and they explain these mysteries so that we even here today reading this word that they have given us um, of course through the inspiration of the spirit might understand these mysteries So the parable of the sower functions in this chapter. It's it's an introduction to the parables and the understanding of the meaning of the parables. And this particular parable, parable of the sower, explains those responses to Jesus by that generation of Israel. And again, if you're thinking about that Old Testament expectancy it's, it's, it's difficult to reconcile the rejection of Jesus. Now we know that it's there because we, it's been revealed and we look back and, and we can see it. But it, it, it's hard to understand that. If this is, he's truly the Messiah and he has come, then judgment should, should come and this kingdom should be established. But that didn't happen. And we see that the response on the part of Israel in the main was to reject him. This parable of the sower also assures satanic opposition to the word of the kingdom and Israel receiving her Messiah, and, and we see that as very evident, especially with the, um, such an increase of, of demonic activity that we see in, in and around Israel during this time. This parable also assured them of persecution and of afflictions, which the apostles, again, truly experienced, as Jesus said. But this parable also assures victory. And that the kingdom will come according to God's foreordained plan. Because there was a remnant that, that received it. So Jesus told his disciples that this was according to Old Testament prophecy. And he's talking about the rejection of the crowds and the reason he's speaking to them in parables. Now we can understand what happened. And we can also be assured that all will be fulfilled, including those things that have not yet been fulfilled, like the coming of the kingdom when Jesus returns. And, and we know where we are. We're in this present age between the first coming of Jesus and his return. And so the message to us today is not that the kingdom is near, um, but that it is coming when Christ returns in judgment. And this message to us is also that we must repent and trust in Christ alone and in his righteousness for forgiveness of sins and salvation from the wrath to come. And then, of course, the promise is we will receive abundantly more than we can even think in the kingdom when he comes.